In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, the Badgers getting ready to head to Rutgers to take on the Scarlet Knights on Saturday. Wisconsin, a 13-point favorite, looking for a fifth straight win to keep uh, their hopes alive for a Big Ten West title, sitting just a game back of Minnesota in the in the division, essentially tied with Purdue and Iowa, but owning the tiebreaker of both of those. We'll talk about uh, the game a little bit. There's there's not a ton to the game. I mean, obviously, I think maybe we'll talk about Aaron Kirkshank a little bit, and, and I actually kind of think the Aaron Kirkshank story kind of plays into a little bit of um, what I wanted to start this show with, Jesse, and that was going back to the transfer portal and the challenge it was, was Wisconsin has with it because they are, I think we can both agree, a developmental program, right? They are a program that nece- that not necessarily guys are going to come in and, and play right away. For every Jonathan Taylor, as Paul Chris said, there's a whole bunch of other guys that maybe aren't playing until their third or fourth year, and sometimes that's difficult for guys. Now, I think with some of these transfers, whether it's Caden Lyles or Dante Burton, they were, they've been around the program for quite some time. You know what I mean? So it's I, I don't know if it necessarily fits with that, but I did find your article, especially the, the title, interesting. Wisconsin football's plight with the transfer portal. I don't know. Do you make your own headlines these days? I don't know. if I, <laughs> I, I do not. I have an thing. editor. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Because it's always interesting to, to like, I think reporters get blamed for making their headlines, even though they don't make the headlines type of thing. You know what I mean? Like. What, what kind of headline? I didn't, I didn't make the headline. I wrote the story. I didn't make the headline. But in this, in this situation, it is something that Paul Chris uh, delved into during his Monday press conference, and I think it's worth talking about, is they do have some challenges compared to some other programs that are you know, bringing in high, high-level talent on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, I will start by saying this. I thought this was one of Paul's most illuminating answers that he's maybe ever given in a press conference situation. Obviously, that may not be setting a high bar to begin with, but um, <laughs> he had clearly spent time thinking about this. He was asked basically what the, the headline of the story indicates, that Wisconsin is known as a developmental pro- pro- program, and we're in an era now where guys with the transfer portal are more likely to leave early if things aren't working out for them. And one of the things that Paul talked about was over the weekend, some of the former players were back because Wisconsin was playing a home game and he got to talking with them. And, and one of the questions that was brought up was, who were the guys you played with that you'd want to build a team around? And Paul was going down a list of the guys that kept coming up from the time that, that he's been the head coach here. TJ Watt, somebody who didn't play his first two years because he redshirted, he had multiple knee injuries. He moves to tight end, becomes an All-American outside linebacker. Natrell Jamerson, who bounced around three different positions, found a home at safety, became an NFL draft pick. Joe Schobert, Jack Sitchi, Dakota Dixon, those are other guys that came up. And, and Paul, as you referenced from the outset, said that for every one JT, there's probably 25 other guys like those five that he mentioned. And you can go down the line where they wait their turn and they learn from the older guys. And then they become really good Big Ten players and give themselves a, a shot at a, a future beyond Wisconsin. And he said there's no doubt there's others where it's a little bit different agenda and it comes down to finding the right fit for everyone in the recruiting process. That entire response that Paul gave was 444 words, maybe one of the longest response he's given. Um, But I think it speaks to the fact that this is clearly something that's top of mind for him, given the fact that 
four players, as we know, had transferred out of the program, entered the portal during a 10-day stretch at midseason. And this isn't something that's going to go away. Uh, you mentioned that Caden Lyles and Dante Burton are guys who had gotten their opportunity, but the other two, Quan Easterling and Devin Chandler, had really barely played. And if they had stuck around, I think would have had big roles uh, moving forward. Just to, to point this out, you mentioned Nitriel Jamerson. It's essentially what Devin Chandler's role was, right? Like early, like early on, I don't know, obviously became the kick returner a little bit, maybe a little bit later in his career. I think certainly he was the, that was the case in 2015. But when he first came in, he was a wide receiver. Yes. And then they moved him over to DB. Like he fought to find his way onto the field. It wasn't always easy. And he, he stuck it around, stuck around and did it. Devin Chandler did it. And again, it's not for everybody. Who, I'm not saying Devin Chandler would have ever become Natrell Jamerson. Natrell physically gifted as, as any player that they've had. But I'm just saying like that essentially played a similar role at his point in his career. Yes, I think that's a great point. I think both those guys would have contributed as soon as next year. But obviously, they weren't happy with their role this season, and they were ready to enter the transfer portal. You know, Paul even said the portal started in 2018. Before then, it wasn't as easy to leave. And he said maybe some guys would have stuck it out to the end of the season. Um, and and I think in a, a previous era, these guys would have too. I don't know if that would have changed things. But for Wisconsin, I think it goes back to something that Jim Leonard mentioned too, that there has to be consistent messaging intentional and honest conversations with players about where they stand and what they need to do to get better. That was something that Leonard hammered home in his response when he was asked about it. And he said that he understands that kids can get frustrated, especially when things don't happen for them early. And when they do leave, he says, it it feels like you failed them, that you haven't been able to deliver on your side. And it goes both ways. Maybe they haven't delivered. Maybe you haven't delivered. Every situation is a little bit unique. I think that Wisconsin... It, it, based on talking to a couple of the guys who left, Easterling and Chandler, maybe that communication is still part of an evolving process. And there's 85 scholarship guys. There's several more walk-ons. So I can understand where something may slip through the, cl- the cracks. But Chandler and Easterling both told me in different conversations that they didn't feel like they had a clear understanding of what they needed to do to improve. That's only their side. And you're not going to get coaches to dive into specifics about guys who have left. Trust me, I've tried. Um But I think that this is something that you absolutely have to monitor moving forward. It's not just a Wisconsin issue either. Even since the start of August, 204 scholarship players have entered the transfer portal, and there were more than twice as many in October, 98, as there were in September, 47. So, But I do think it's exacerbated at a program like Wisconsin's where, for the most part, guys wait their turn. And it's not everyone. Paul mentioned that too. Chimray DK, Nick Herbig, guys who were contributors last year. Braylon Allen, someone who's contributing right away this year. But that's not the majority of guys. Right. And it's not. And again, I, I don't know. Do you think this is going to, I mean, right now, and again, the, the numbers within the transfer portal for Wisconsin, now I guess I haven't looked at it this week. The number the numbers for Wisconsin are a little skewed just because of the, the three guys, the three running backs. But are they having a tougher ta- time at this point than other teams, you think? I think it's. Um, magnified by the fact that four guys left midseason in 10 days. That's the thing that's really eye-opening. And it's they're not the only program. Like Wisconsin just added a cornerback from Michigan State, Kalon Gervin, who we talked about last week. So it goes both ways. You're going to lose guys. You're going to bring guys in. And I just think this is the new wave of college football. Um, I can't say that, like, I don't think it's a Wisconsin problem, but there's a lot of layers to this. Because if you bring in somebody, especially in the middle of the season, 
you run the risk of alienating guys already on your team. I really don't think it's a coincidence that Dante Burton entered the transfer portal the same week that Wisconsin added a cornerback from Michigan State. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of facets to this. And the other thing that I think is important to note is just the reaction from the different players. I mean, Colin Wilder, as we know, has become the the spokesman for the team in a lot of different ways, and he's not shy about voicing his opinion. But after the game Saturday, he he talked about, I mean, in various interviews, basically good riddance for guys who wanted to leave. And he said that I don't support it at all because it doesn't affect those guys. It's a selfish decision that impacts the whole team. Now, if you're unhappy and it can permeate through the team, it's probably best if you do leave midseason. So again, a lot of layers to this, but the whole point of this conversation is to me, this is here to stay. And I think we're going to see more guys transfer out of the program after the season, but also moving forward, I think we're going to continue to see guys leave in the middle of the season for the reasons that Devin Chandler illuminated when I talked to him, because he said, there's only so many scholarships to go around and you want to make sure if you're not happy and you want to go somewhere else to secure your spot. Cause the early signing period is coming up in a month and a half. Yeah, no, it is. And a lot of, I think a lot of teams, you mentioned Michigan state are treating the transfer portal like recruiting now. And, and adding guys in that respect. And what did Michigan State have? 14, 14 guys that they added through the transfer portal? And, and I know that uh, Mel Tucker is having to do it a little bit different way, but I know that there's a lot of people that are, are treating it as if that's just uh, because they can play right away, that it's just another uh, aspect of the recruiting period in the, the recruiting cycle. It's just another part of it. If you're smart about it, I think you should play it that way. Now, obviously, it starts with, identifying the high school guys. Yes, it is free agency, free agency. That's what, that's what Mel Tucker said. And he thought his experience in the NFL helped him with that. I I think it's, it should be supplementary to what you're doing, obviously in high school recruiting, because you can develop relationships with those guys. You identify what you need and you spend months, if not years finding those guys. But at a certain point, you're looking at whatever your big board is and there are certain positions of need. And to me, that's where you go into the transfer portal just like Wisconsin getting Ches Malusi at the end of last season. They had a need at running back. He fit very well. They knew he could come in and play right away. So, you know, you don't go after everyone in the transfer portal, but if you're smart and you're a good program, this is exactly what you should be doing. It, it'll be something to obviously to interesting to watch to see how it plays out. For both Wisconsin and college football, I, I, it, it kind of feels like the wild, wild west, though. Doesn't yes. it? To an extent. Like, I, I, it's the rules that were put in place are supposed to make it like more above board, like entering the transfer portal and all that type of stuff. But it, it just feels there, there are very, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of restrictions on it. Like they can, whenever you want to get out and move on. And, and, um, and I don't think that's probably, that's probably not going to change uh, the way that player empowerment is going um, just in terms of football aspects, not even just off the field, but football aspects of it. I certainly think, uh, I don't know if anything's going to change on that front. So that was one of your stories this week. The other story that uh, came out Thursday was on Nick Herbig, the outside linebacker who's having an all Big Ten type season. He's kind of, I don't want to say he's gotten overshadowed by Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn, but he kind of has to an extent. I don't, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine that just because how good he's been, but he's, he's taken his game to a different level. We saw that certainly against Iowa. He was all over the place. And I know your story kind of tells the tale of how he became who he is now. And it started back home in Hawaii and having two older brothers, he had to go up against every single day and a couple of parents that loved competition. Yeah, they certainly did. And and it starts with when you talk to Wisconsin players and you ask them who the most intense guy on the team is, or 
who is somebody you want to stay away from in the pregame locker room. Like Nick Herbig is always coming up. Colin Wilder, again, great quote that he is, was talking about how he doesn't want to bother him. And sometimes when Nick is getting ready to go out on the field that he's got tears in his eyes because he's that intense and it's, th- it's that contagious with other guys. And Keanu Benton just said Nick's wired differently. That one time he was talking to Nick and Nick told him that if he lost a rep, he felt like he was losing at life. Yeah. And Ke- Keanu was like, I'm like to an extent. Okay. But he's a little crazy. Um, and so, love, but, you, but, <laughs> but you see that on the field with the, the passion and emotion that he plays again, he's not the only guy that plays like that. But I do think when you get guys playing at this high level for a Wisconsin program in the big 10, and they're, they're all pointing out Nick that says something. So it does start with, with his childhood. He, he was the youngest of three boys. One of his brothers is an offensive lineman for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and so those were big guys and he would often get beat up. And I had a chance to talk to Nick's parents, Robin and Bruce. And Robin said that in my household, everything was a competition. She talked about how they would have a stack of quarters around the house and they would start to throw quarters against the wall to see who had to do chores, like anything to make a competition out of who had to do dishes or take out the trash and, and stuff like that. And there were a couple of anecdotes that I thought really stood out about how Nick's family approached competition. Like they would, they would have competitions about who could eat the fastest or who could drink the most milk. They would have games in the basement where like they would each throw a ball, throw a ball up in the air and whoever caught it could turn around and chuck it as hard as he wanted at at the brothers. Um, But Robin told me a story about when Nick was in sixth grade, he was playing a football game. They had some family friends around and they were going to go out to eat afterward. And uh, Nick played a terrible game. It was like the worst game he'd ever played. And he was really excited because his mom said he was thinking about the hamburger and, and Bruce told him, you don't deserve a hamburger. Get in the car. We're going home. Everybody else can go have one. And the whole point was that if you're going to go play a sport, you better dedicate yourself to it. Um, So I think it was probably a little bit different mentality for Nick growing up from a lot of other people. But I also think that sort of shaped his identity and, and who he wanted to become. He saw his older brothers go through it. He saw the way his family um, was competitive and they never let him win. Bruce played connect four and beat him like hundreds of times in a row. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw the picture, but <laughs> Nick was walking into Camp Randall Stadium off the team bus on Saturday to go to the Iowa game and tucked under his right arm was uh, a box and it was connect four. So he was, he was going into the stadium to play connect four. So the whole point is, uh, He's got a unique mindset. It comes from his family, but that family is going to have two guys that wind up playing in the NFL. If Nick plays at this level, I wouldn't be surprised to see him after his junior year go to the NFL. Like he's on that trajectory, it seems to me. And he's here for largely one reason, right? The NFL. I think that's another important point. This is where I think Wisconsin can excel in recruiting when they do go outside the state. Nick is a perfect example. You develop a pipeline of guys who go to the NFL over the, the four NFL drafts before Nick committed, six Badgers that played outside linebacker were taken. And that is one of the main reasons that he wanted to come here. He'd never even the visit, visited the Midwest when he uh, came out to Madison and then committed on his trip. And so that's how you start to have success with out-of-state four-star prospects. Um, and it's, he's made it clear from the beginning. And again, he is, he is on that path. Yeah. Uh, TJ Watt still paying dividends for... Wisconsin, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Watts, one of the guys that he watched. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously he's been fantastic, was great against Iowa. The other guy that continues to be 
the story for Wisconsin, especially offensively, not just because he's only 17 years old, but because of the, <laughs> the games that he's put together, four straight 100-yard games. That's Braylon Allen. I know you got another uh, story coming up uh, Friday on Braylon Allen. You had a chance to talk with a number of guys, including Gary Brown, about his star pupil. What was your biggest takeaway from what he said, and, and what are some of the things that people should be uh, excited to read about? I mean, I think anybody who's watched Braylon sees what a ridiculous physical specimen he is, but also how quickly he's put this thing together. Um, when fall camp ended, he was still fifth on the depth chart. Maybe you could have said he was fourth, but Brady Shipper at least had a better understanding of the offense. And you see what he's done now. I thought it was interesting. I was talking to Graham Mertz about when he had a wow moment. He said that Braylon posted some highlights after some of his high school games during the spring season. And there was the second game of Braylon's season. He ran for four touchdowns against Nina, 154 yards on nine carries. And there was one run in particular where he broke through the hole, spun off a guy, outran two more dudes. And Graham was so impressed that he got out of his cell and he texted Braylon half jokingly, we're going to start a petition to have you come in as a running back. Because at the time, he was going to be, if not a safety, a linebacker, right? And, yep. and Braylon said that was the first time that he really thought like, oh, you know what? Yeah, Maybe. So that's when he started texting Paul Chris. That's when he started having conversations with Gary Brown. And Braylon told me that he didn't think it was really going to happen full time. He thought like, I'm going to play defense, but maybe I won't get very many snaps as a freshman. So throw me on offense for a couple plays like Jabril Peppers or something. And obviously we saw that Wisconsin decided to put him at running back. You don't get very many guys that are 6'2", 238 pounds that can do what he's done. Um, but from then it was just, the development that he's made so quickly, Gary Brown talked about that he had some special skills. At first, Gary said that he thought maybe this guy can be a serviceable power five running back because he's got some tools. And then he realized the more he watched him like, oh, he can be a really good power five running back, which now seems obvious. But they worked on a lot of the small details, understanding protections, how to run routes. I mean, I remember a play early in spring practice or in fall camp when he was lined up in the goal line and Chase Wolf walked over to him and had to relocate him to, to where he needed to be. I mean, there's so many small details that you have to learn. But Braylon was able to do it quickly. He's ascended in it only took four games and he's got four straight hundred yard rushing games now. So it's been incredible. He's on again, just like Nick Herbig. He's on that kind of trajectory. He can be the next great Wisconsin back and Obviously, Brown found a special guy, even though he really didn't have to do anything to find him. It was Braylon's request to go over and play offense. Are you willing to say that now he will be the next great Wisconsin back? I know I wasn't a couple games ago. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I give me give me four more regular season games. We, we've gotten four so far, but every time he goes out there, he puts it out there and just shows you how special he can be. And he didn't fumble against Iowa. So I think that is the next step in his development. And that's another thing Gary said, that that's the one thing they keep focusing on. There have been moments where he's held it low and loose rather than high and tight. And he said Braylon could get away with that in high school because he was the best player on the field. He was the most physical. You can't do that stuff in college. And slowly but surely, all those things are adding up. And, and I think the other thing that Braylon does is he's a sponge. He wants to keep getting better. It's not just the ridiculous numbers that he, he puts up in the weight room. He's got access to all these incredible running backs who have come through the program. The Ron Danes, the Mon Monte Ball reached out and texted him uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then Melvin Gordon is somebody that Braylon idolized growing up. Braylon said when he kind of was falling out of love with football, 
Melvin was the one who brought him back in because of what he was able to do at Wisconsin. And, and I actually just talked to Melvin for a different story, but Melvin said that anytime a Badger reaches out to him, especially a running back, it's a brotherhood. And so he's told Braylon, if you have any questions about anything, I'm here for you, bro. And he's going to give him the same advice that he gave Jonathan Taylor about the things you have to do to become a great running back. So another advertisement for RBU, I suppose, at Wisconsin. But man, when you're a young guy coming in here and you have access to those players, uh, that can only obviously help you. Yeah, you think back to the Purdue game after the game, you know, he had that those two fumbles early on and his message after the game was, I just thought about my favorite college football player ever, Melvin Gordon, his best game, fumbled twice and then ran for 408 yards. So he draws from that, certainly, I think, in the way that he plays running back. I'll be honest, I was completely wrong about him. I thought what he did in high school was kind of just a high school thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a spring season. Not everyone's playing. It, it's not necessarily a great competition, like all that. And, and what he did was still insane. There's no doubt about that. But like, eh, you know, I, but he's come in and he's just been so, so impressive because he's taken like just a huge jump from where he was in fall camp to now. And even from where we saw him against Illinois, you know what I mean? Like a play that he would have not made against Illinois, he's making now against Purdue and Iowa. Like just the little simple things, like a guy getting free at him and him making a miss in the backfield. Like those are just, those are, it feels natural, but I also don't think it's things that he would have been doing earlier in the season when he was just running straight ahead and trying to move the pile. Like that, that's what Wisconsin needed earlier in the season, but he's taken it to a different level. He's been as impressive as a true freshman unexpectedly uh, as, as any guy, I think. I mean, obviously Jonathan Taylor, the, after what he did in the scrimmage that fall camp, you know, where he went off again, everyone knows about that. Like you kind of expected him to have a, a significant role. That wasn't the case with Braylon. That wasn't at all the case. No one, I don't think anybody was coming out of fall camp. No one was expecting this, right? No, I wasn't. I I think it is fair. I also think, I mean, he was still the most impressive. He had one of the most impressive, like, wow moments, though. Yeah, with a a stiff arm. Yeah, right. Um, Just stuff you don't see a freshman do. And and yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to translate the way they have. But I mean, it was it was all among Williams. I mean, come on. it, yes, but it was still like, I mean, everybody was like, holy crap. It yeah, was, no, it was a, a ridiculous, he, ridiculous. Because he spun off a guy up the middle. But yeah, I understand your point. No, I don't think anybody saw this coming. And it's it's more fascinating just because of his, like, his build. I asked Gary Brown, was there anybody who he reminds you of? And he's like, no, because six foot, 240 pound guys play linebacker in the NFL. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, that's a good point. And I went and looked it up. Wisconsin has 23 linebackers on the roster, walk-ons and scholarship guys inside and outside linebacker. He weighs more than 15 of them. So for him to do all this stuff, it's not just power. It's it's really good burst. And I think that's one thing that's kind of underrated about Braylon early on here. You just look at him and, and I kind of think of, well, the Michigan game. They put him in short yardage situations, let him plow forward. But He's doing it in a bunch of different type of ways. And I think there, there's one story that he told me about summer conditioning. They would run, uh, they're called gassers in the McLean Center. So they yeah. would run from sideline to sideline. And Any, anybody that played football growing up knows gassers. Yeah. In basketball, it was suicides. Either way, yeah. uh, horrible, not very yes. fun. Not so they put, them into, <laughs> they put them into three groups, linemen, mid-skill, which is like running backs, tight ends, linebackers, the bigger running backs, and then the skill guys, defensive backs, receiver, smaller running back. So they put Braylon with the mid skill group. And he's like, I was running with the mids and I was just killing everybody. I was finishing first every time. So one of the strength coaches 
put him with the skill position guys, the fastest guys on the team. And he said the very first rep he won. And everyone's looking around like, oh, no, he's 240 pounds and you can't let him let him win. So everybody started to run faster and Braylon still finished in the top five every time. So I do think that that was sort of a, a very early moment that made guys around the team realize it's not just the, the crazy weight numbers. Uh, he's got speed and, and it's just a unique combination for a guy his size. No doubt, for sure. And he's going to be put to the test uh, again. They're going to throw him a bunch of times at Rutgers on Saturday, Wisconsin, and uh, looking for that, as I said, fifth straight win, trying to keep their hopes alive. Uh, a few under over-unders here as we get into to Rutgers. Uh, one note on Rutgers, obviously, I think a lot of people are interested in uh, Aaron Crookshank, who obviously transferred from Wisconsin to Rutgers and whether he's going to play. It sounds like he's it's still up in the air. Uh, he has not played since October since he got hurt October 3rd, Greg Shannon told reporters on Monday that he doesn't know about him, that it's going to be close, that he wants to play, uh, that he's been trying to, but there's a difference between wanting to and then being physically able to, and he's not sure right now. That would be obviously a huge lift for Rutgers because we all, I think we all know how uh, explosive he can be. But looking into this game, it feels like a huge mismatch again for, <laughs> for Wisconsin's defense. Uh, there are a lot of things that Rutgers uh, does well, especially defensively, but their offense doesn't scare anybody. I'm wondering for you, they average 143 yards per game on the ground. Wisconsin leads the country in rushing yards, allowed 49.6. If you take out the sack yardage, they would still be ranked number one in the country. It's insane, 69 yards per game. But uh, over under rushing yards for Rutgers in this game, 71. Oh, I was hoping you'd set it higher and make it easier. Uh I think I'm going to go with the under because the other thing to consider is uh, the sack yardage. And I just don't know who from Rutgers is going to break some big runs. Like their leading rushers averaging 3.6 yards per carry. So they average three and a half yards per carry as a team. I just, this defense is playing at a historically good level. I don't know whether they'll ultimately set the single season program record for fewest rushing yards per game, but they go out and prove it every week. And I don't think this is the game where some team's going to run right over them. And 72 yards isn't exactly running over anyone, but I'm still taking the under. Yeah. The under is an easy one for me. An easy okay. one for me. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin, meanwhile, over under 143 yards rushing for the Badgers. Can I ask why you set it at that number? You can. And then I will have to go and find uh, Rutgers rushing defense because I think I may have looked at Rutgers rushing defense and offense and because uh, I both have them down as 143 and there's no way they're both 143. Uh, the defense is 143. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Rutgers. Holy crap. It is both 143. So I didn't screw that up. I thought I, re I realistically thought I screwed that up. No, I didn't. Uh, Wisconsin, the, Rutgers allowing 143 yards per game on the ground over under 143 for the Badgers. Well, I'm going over. Uh, I'm singing the praises of Braylon Allen. He's rushed for 100 plus yards in four straight games. That doesn't even account for the yardage that Ches Malusi is going to get. Um, I think they've they found something, obviously, with that one-two dynamic. Now, Ches says he believes they're the best running back tandem in the country. I don't know if I'd go that far, but they've been a big reason in helping to turn things around the last four games. The O-line has helped. I think the O-line in the run blocking is playing much better. And I expect them to hit the over on that number over under hundred yards for Braylon Allen, 99 and a half. Yeah, that's a good number. 
you know, what the hell? I'm going to go over. I don't oh, yeah. I, I don't think the streak stops here. <laughs> we march on. Yes, they do. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin has forced eight turnovers. And yeah. I'm putting forced in air quotes the last two games because I don't think they did a ton on the uh, on two of, of them on, against Iowa and two of them against Iowa. But hey, whatever. Yeah, sometimes you sometimes that just happens, right? Like some you you've had horrible turnover luck all year. Sometimes those things just happen. They had one at the end of the Purdue game too, where who is the quarterback? Plummer just dropped it like on the uh, trying to hand it off. Like it, those things happen. You take advantage of them. Either way, they're plus six in the last two games as a team. But over under two and a half turnovers for Rutgers. I'm going to take the under on this one. Rutgers quarterbacks have thrown three picks the whole year. Um, I don't know. I know that the, that the defensive guys believe that these come in bunches, and they certainly have the last two weeks, but I'll say maybe they get two. <laughs> they, uh, I'm going to go with the under. Rutgers giving up 21.5 points per game. Wisconsin over under 21.5 points this game. I'm going to take the over. You said it at the beginning of this uh, game discussion that it just feels like a, a real big mismatch. And I think Wisconsin's going to roll in this one. And I, maybe, I, maybe I'll be wrong because can we trust this offense to roll? Yeah, that's the uh, thing. I don't know. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said it was a big mismatch for Wisconsin's defense against oh, Rutgers. Okay. I don't think that there's a game. I can't. Maybe Eastern Michigan. Like, I don't think there's been a game where you could say that's, that's clearly an, an overmatched like going into it, obviously it ended up being that way for the Illinois game and uh, parts of the Purdue game. But for the most part, like I don't think I'm entering any game and being like, God, this is a huge mismatch for Wisconsin's offense. Like that, no, I, no, not at all. Until, until they prove us wrong, <laughs> I'm going to go that way. And, and again, if they hold on to the ball, Jesse, I think that over, they over hits easy. I, I, I do. Like I, if they don't turn the ball over, they're going to score more than 21 and a half points against Rutgers. I, that's the case. But last week was the first time they hadn't turned the ball over in 12 games. So I, I just don't believe I don't believe in it just yet. Yeah, I, I also don't know what Rutgers team we're going to see. They, they finally won a Big Ten game last week at Illinois. They won 20 to 14 a week before they lose or two weeks before they lose 21 to seven at Northwestern. And I mean, everyone's losing to Michigan State and Ohio State, I suppose, or a lot of teams. They've played Michigan close. So I don't know what to expect. That's the thing. Yeah, I believe they did they they played Rutgers. Uh, Michigan played Rutgers the week before Wisconsin did. Uh, before uh, Wisconsin played Michigan, and Michigan's uh, they they held Michigan's you know rushing attack in check to an extent. Um, the way that Wisconsin's rolling on the ground, I don't think that it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be overwhelming, but I think they're going to get enough done to get over that twenty-one and a half points. But Rutgers' defense isn't necessarily that bad. But they necessarily they haven't really played some any great offenses, and Wisconsin certainly. Is far from that, but I do think they hit the over on 21 and a half, assuming they don't turn the ball over, you know, what they have been earlier in the season. Uh, all right, let's get into our game picks heading into this one. We didn't have a great week last week. Both went two for three, two and three, I should say. You're now, 20, it. You're now 25 and 17 on the year. I'm 24 and 18. Uh, while I picked Wisconsin to beat Iowa, I did not have them covering. So I guess I, I did lose that one. You had them losing and uh, obviously not covering. So big whiff I, for me on that. One. It's been I, a rough I feel, two weeks. I, I feel like I needed to point that out. Just thank you. Just because. Just uh, all right. So let's get into it. Number five, we're going to do all Big Ten games this week. Not a whole lot of great games on the national scale. Number five, Ohio State traveling to Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers. 
Ohio State, who is 18.5-point favorites at home against Penn State, just 15-point favorites on the road at Nebraska. The over-under is 66. That game, an 11 a.m. kickoff. This is much tougher than I expected because Nebraska's three and six this season, but all six losses have been by single digits. Yep. And some of those losses include the, the Michigan game, which Nebraska, frankly, should have won. They lost in overtime to Michigan State. They lost by a touchdown to Oklahoma and lost eight by eight in the opener to Illinois. So, you know, this would be the first team to go in there and win by, by double digits. On the other hand, um, <laughs> Ohio State, I just kicking butt and taking names. So I'm, I'm saying all that and I'm still going with Ohio state to cover. And I am going to go with the under 66 still feels like a lot. Can you see where Scott Frost is coming from though? When he's like, we're so close. We're so close. Yes. But they, I believe the saying goes close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And I don't know how many years you get to be sort of close. Yeah. But I can see it. Yeah. Like you can kind of see it. They're right there with some of the better teams in the conference. They just haven't been able to get over it. And a lot of it has to do with that defense. They're just not very good defensively. And that's not very good against Ohio State. That's not, <laughs> right. a, that's not a great recipe uh, for facing Ohio State. So I'm going to take Ohio State as well and the over. Uh, Illinois at number 20, Minnesota. Golden Gophers, uh, one spot ahead of Wisconsin in the first college football playoff rankings. Uh, I. I was going to spend at least probably like 20, 25 minutes discussing the college football playoff rankings and Wisconsin's place in them and, and why they were too low, but I've decided against that because nobody cares. Um, I don't think they're too low either. I think I was kind of surprised at Penn State. I couldn't believe they were in it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of surprised Penn State wasn't and Wisconsin was. Either way, um, Illinois at number 20, Minnesota, Golden Gophers, 14 and a half point favorites. The over-under, 44. Well... I think Minnesota's going to win. I don't know if I think they're going to cover. Um, even though Illinois is, I don't know what to make of them. They, I guess I can understand them losing a week after a nine overtime game, but yeah. it was to Rutgers. Um, I'm going to go with Illinois. I'm, I'm taking the points on it. Minnesota's going to win, and I'm going to go with the over. Yeah, I don't know how Illinois. Like, do they are they able to slow Minnesota's run game? to the point where Tanner Morgan, who was an all big 10 quarterback two years ago, but hasn't necessarily been lighting the world on fire is able to beat them. 14 and a half is, is a lot, especially with the over under being where it was like you're, you're, you're essentially saying that Minnesota is going to put up some points. I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm going with Minnesota at home. Okay. Uh, I, do, I, I think that they're going to win out. I do. I think they're going to win out and then it's going to be Wisconsin and Minnesota for the big 10 West title. That would so be I think, very exciting. Yes. And I have to imagine the over-under for that game is probably going to be in the 30s. So, <laughs> the, yeah, so I'm, I'm, going, I'm going Minnesota, and I'm going to take the under. Uh, number three, Michigan State at Purdue. The Spartans, three-point favorites. The over-under, 53-and-a-half. I mean, th there's still zero respect for Michigan State. That spread. This is absolute zero respect for Michigan State, despite being number three. Yeah, I, and, and, uh, and I guess, and I guess, is by saying no uh, respect, there's no respect outside of that committee room um, for Michigan State. Apparently, at least when it comes to Las Vegas, I'm going with Michigan State to cover on this on the road. Now they're coming off a very emotional win against Michigan, um, but they're they're just on a roll. And Purdue, we saw them against Wisconsin. I mean, they beat Nebraska, but I, I just 
and I, and obviously beat Iowa before, but they're just sort of one of those teams that's all over the place too. And I don't know what to expect from week to week and Michigan state's on a roll. So I'm going to go with the Spartans and I am going to take the under. Do you expect Purdue to be able to stop Kenneth Walker? Uh, they're certainly going to try. I mean, Walker's now the favorite to win the Heisman after that five touchdown game. And that was sort of the signature moment. I don't know. Maybe you just sell out to stop him and and make him win through the air. But, but, but I mean, it didn't work for Purdue's matchup against Wisconsin. Right. It didn't at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This could be this could be an interesting one just because of you know such a huge game and then going on the road to a, a lazy environment that probably is going to be. Uh, I mean the the environment at Purdue was actually pretty good for the Wisconsin game. I don't envision it being great for this one, but uh, I'm going to take Michigan State as well and take the under. Uh, nor uh, Iowa coming off back to back losses, heading to Northwestern. They are 12 point favorites, and the over under is 40 and a half. I guess I would ask whether I was going to score 12 points. Um, <laughs> zing. Zing. I, I, I don't, I think, I think Iowa wins, but I think Northwestern covers. I know the Wildcats aren't very good this year. I just, and, and obviously my perspective is skewed from having watched the best defense in the country shut Iowa down, but that offense has problems, man. <laughs> For people who want to say anything about Wisconsin's offense. I, so I'm going to, I'm going to pick Northwestern, uh, to cover, I'm gonna think Iowa wins. I'm gonna take the under. Yeah, I mean the the, the fact remains that Iowa's offense uh, benefited so much from what their defense was able to do turnover wise earlier in the season. What I mean, they're averaging like what was it like one and a half points per possession, not off a of turnover, but off of turnovers. There's like three and a half per possession. Like it was just an it was a, a huge amount, and they haven't been able to force those turnovers of late these last two games. Wisconsin and, and Purdue have turned it over combined one time. So uh, if they don't force turnovers, their offense is going to struggle. I kind of think that they start forcing some turnovers this game. So I'm going to take Iowa and the over in this one. I don't, that's it's after what I saw least last week, that's, that's a horrible decision, but I'm going to do it anyways. Indiana at number seven, Michigan Wolverines, 20 point favorites, the over under 51. That is an awful lot of points. Um, I'm sort of torn on this one, but Indiana is not that good of a football team. They're two and six. Um, and uh, I'm going to go with Indiana to cover though. Um, and I'm going to go with uh, the over. Okay. I'm going to take Michigan and the over. Yes. I need to get a game back up on you. All right. So uh, Wisconsin at Rutgers, number 21, Wisconsin, excuse me, at Rutgers, the over-under, 37.5 for a third time. It's in the 30s for a third time this year. And Wisconsin is favored by 13 at last check. I think I took the under the previous two times, right? When it was in the 30s? Yes. Uh, yeah. And you hit, you hit one of two, I believe. Yeah. Um, gosh, 13 points for this Wisconsin team. Um, I'm going to pick Wisconsin to cover, and I'm going to go with the over. <laughs> Break out the uh, break out the balloons. It's party time in Piscataway. Yeah, thirty-seven and a half is such a low number for these two teams. Just based on the history of these two teams, Wisconsin has. It's not like Wisconsin's had a great passing attack the last three times they faced them, and yet they were able to beat them by uh, double digits in all of uh, all three of those games. Ran ran wild the last time the game was in Piscataway. It was uh, a rainy game. It was horrible. New Jersey. Uh, 
there's probably way too many people on this pod that listens podcast from New Jersey. So I'm not going to say anything bad about New Jersey, but they produce great running backs. How about that? It does. It's not anybody. I don't think it's anybody's favorite trip. I'll say that. So either way, I think Wisconsin does run wild. I think uh, their defense stacks up Rutgers and uh, they cover that 13 and uh, hit on the over as well. So we'll see. I don't, I, you know, uh, Rutgers is not the same team that it was. I mean, Greg Schiano certainly has them playing better defensively than they than they have in the past. But I'm I'm still going to go with uh, still go with Wisconsin here. All right, we will uh, be back Sunday at some point to talk and uh, recap the game and then look ahead to next week as well. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is Jesse Tumble from the Athletic. You've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.